Well, it is indeed a pleasure and an honor to be back with you. It's an honor to have my mom here. I consider her my mom, even though she's my mother-in-law. My mom is with the Lord, and so she's my mom now. And, you know, this woman prayed for me for over 12 years for my salvation, and her and her late husband, Richard, were faithful in their prayers and were instrumental in me coming to know the Lord, and I think I shared that with you. So uh, if this doesn't go well, take your complaints to her, okay? <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't have a big stable of jokes, but I did hear one, uh, I don't know, a number of months ago. It was about a man who was a pastor. He was a pastor for 20 years. He had been married about the same number of years, but there was always something that bothered him about his marriage. His wife had this box underneath the bed, and on it she had painted in big red letters, Do Not Open. Well, his wife went on an extended visit with her girlfriends, and he got bored, and the pastor got bored, and, you know, his curiosity got the best of him, and he went up, and uh, he slid the box out from underneath the bed, and he opened the box, and in the box was three eggs and a fistful of $20 bills. Well, he's perplexed. He doesn't know what all this means, so he puts everything back just as it was and puts the lid on the box, slides it underneath the bed. Well, his wife comes home, and uh, after a while, his conscience gets the best of him. And he says, dear, I know I wasn't supposed to do it, but I opened that box underneath the bed. Well, initially, she's mad. And she, she's fit to be tied. But after she cools down, the pastor goes to her and says, Honey, I'm just confused, perplexed. What was in that box? Three eggs and a fistful of $20 bills. She says, Well, every time you preached and you laid an egg, I put an egg in the box. <laughs> well, he's feeling pretty good. You know, three eggs in 20 years, you know, he's saying, All right, you know. And he says, Well, what about all that money? She says, Every time I got a dozen eggs, I sold them. <laughs> Well, hopefully that has nothing to do with what I'm going to do today. Uh, hopefully I don't lay an egg. And please let me know if Lisa, my wife, tries to sell you a dozen eggs, okay? We're going we're gonna to turn to one of my favorite passages in the Bible, and that's Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Now, I have to tell you why it's my one of my favorites. I started uh, studying this probably 12, 13 years ago, in 2011, um, I was going on a mission trip to Siberia with Bend and Knee International, and uh, you always had to have a little bit of teaching in your back pocket because the Siberian worship, uh, you know, their their services were not as structured as ours. They started like nine o'clock in the morning, and they would go to one o'clock in the afternoon. They'd have two, three, sometimes four preachers, and you never knew when the Siberian pastor was going to say. Hey, Bob, why don't you come up and share what's on your heart? So you always had to have a little bit of teaching. And I, I in 2011, um, I did uh, share this a couple times in Siberia, uh, but that's not what makes it special. Uh, I don't know what you know. Where we used to go in Siberia was actually 13 hours ahead of us. So, you know, their night was our morning, and 
Our night was their morning, and it was completely opposite. And, and so getting used to time was a real challenge. And I just learned from experience the best thing to do was you land in DFW, and the next day you go to work. You know, when you just, you know, force yourself to get used to the time. I used to tell my boss, I'm not going to be worth much because it's the middle of the night for me. Um, but I'll come in and at least try to get through my emails. Well, this time in 2011, I think we landed on a Wednesday afternoon. And Thursday morning, I went into work. About mid-morning, I had a call from our brother, Don. And he's all excited. And he says, oh, we got to go to lunch. I want to hear about your trip. You know, um, let's go to lunch. And I said, Don, I'm beat. I says, and tomorrow's Friday. Uh, let's do it on Monday. And he says, okay, Monday. Sounds good, Monday. Well, that was the last time I talked to my brother. On Sunday afternoon at 5 o'clock, Lisa and I got a call from my nephew and said, they found my brother collapsed on the floor. He was unresponsive, uh, breathing on his own. They rushed him to Baylor, Grapevine. We got there. They said he... He must have had an aneurysm, a brain aneurysm that we didn't know anything about. Um, they says he had a lot of bleeding on the brain. They were going to care flight him to uh, Fort Worth Trauma Center. They did that. We went down there. And when we got down there, they said, there's nothing we can do for him. He has too much blood on the brain. Well, what makes this special, because I had studied this for Siberia, was I preached this at his memorial. And that's why it's special for me. Now, we just set the background here for Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. Um, the city of Ephesus was a big city. Rome Van Dyke actually says it was the third largest city in the Roman Empire, maybe the third largest city in the world. Um, it was the Roman capital in Asia Minor for politics, and it was a social economic uh, center. But it was steep in paganism also. We know it was steep in paganism because the temple of Artemis was there. And we, we know her more commonly as Diana, the goddess Diana. And we know what happened in those pagan temples. We also know that Luke records in Acts chapter 19, when Paul's ministry really starts to take hold, they start bringing their books of magic and sorcery and they burn them. And Luke records that they were worth 50,000 pieces of silver. I googled what a piece of silver was worth in biblical times. It was worth two drachma. Now, a drachma would have been a skilled laborer's wage for a day. So if you multiply that out, it would have been over 550 years worth of wages for a skilled laborer. So it was a substantial amount of money. Ephesus was a pagan city. The church, of course, was founded by Paul in his second missionary journey. We, re we read about that in Acts 18. He didn't stay very long. It was a small church. He, he left it to Priscilla and Aquila. Paul was anxious to get back to Antioch. He goes back to Antioch. He starts planning his third missionary journey. On his third missionary journey, he spends quality time in Ephesus. Over three years, he pastors the church. God does great miracles through Paul in this time. As a matter of fact, if people are just touching his apron or touching his handkerchief, they're being healed and, uh, and demons are coming out of them. 
So it, it, God is doing great things. We, we talked about the magic, uh, the books of magic being burned. The, the ministry is going great. Until a silversmith by the name of Demetrius, who made these silver shrines to the goddess Diana, well, his business is going down the toilet. And he gets the other silversmiths, and they, they cause a ruckus. They go looking for Paul. They can't find Paul, so they drag out a couple of his traveling companions. And there's a big riot going on. Finally, the town council members get involved, and they say, whoa, 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 hold it. The courts are open. If you got a problem, let's bring this to the court. Well, Paul is already pretty much set in his own mind, and he wants to go back to Jerusalem. And so, therefore... He uses this as a catalyst to leave Ephesus. He goes to Macedonia, goes to Greece, he goes to Troas. Ultimately, he goes to Miletus, which is only 30 miles south of Ephesus, and he meets with the elders of Ephesus. And he says something very peculiar, very familiar verse to us. Acts chapter 20, verse 29. He says, after my departure, savage wolves will come among you not sparing the flock. Well, we know that he was referring to false teachers, but what kind of false teaching? Well, many believe it's legalism. Because of the Jewish influence, it's legalism. And we get a hint of that in Timothy. Timothy ultimately becomes the pastor at Ephesus. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, he says, the Spirit explicitly say, says in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the doctrines of demons. Legalism is a deceitful spirit and a doctrine of demons. He goes on in 1 Timothy chapter 4, because we think it's legalism, he says things like they are telling you to stay away from food or, uh, and do not get married, all legalistic things. We also see a hint of it in Revelation. When John records the letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor, in Revelation 2, verses 2 through 4, he's, the Lord is talking, John's recording it, the Lord's talking, he says, I, I know your deeds, your toils and perseverance, that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to test those who called themselves apostles and found out that they were false. That's what legalism is. Legalism can discern. It's good at discerning. But the Lord goes on, you have lost your first love. You've lost the love of Christ. That's what legalism does. It strips us from the love of Christ. It strips us of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's all about me, what I can accomplish, and what I can do. Well, Paul sees this, and he sees this start in being in the church of Ephesus, and he writes in Ephesians 1. Now, Paul ultimately goes to Jerusalem. He's falsely accused for bringing a Gentile in the Jewish part of the uh, temple. He's arrested. He's brought to Caesarea. He spends a couple years in Caesarea. He has a he hearing before Felix and a hearing before Festus and a hearing be uh, before King Agrippa. He gets frustrated. He exercises his right as a Roman citizen to have his case heard before Caesar. Festus actually says, the Caesar he wants to go, to Caesar he'll go. And ultimately, he goes to Rome. He's under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard. But Rome Van Dyke has told us, 
Paul's ministry changes forever. Changes forever. He goes from a missionary, face-to-face missionary, affecting thousands upon thousands of people, to now a letter writer, affecting millions upon millions upon millions of people and continues to affect millions of people. He writes the prison epistles, Ephesians being one, also Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. They're all written about 60, 62 AD. This letter to Ephesians is a circular letter. It's delivered by Tychicus. And the part where it says in verse 1 of chapter 1, to the saints who are at Ephesus, was not in the earlier manuscripts. This was a circular letter to be shared with all the churches of Asia Minor. And Paul writes this letter to address this legalism that's starting to go enter into the church of Ephesus. And this point in these verses that we're going to read is, you are complete in Jesus Christ. You don't need a bunch of rules and regulations. Matter of fact, you're so complete in Jesus Christ, you're blessed by the Father, you're blessed by the Son, you're blessed by the Holy Spirit. So let's read it. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us, in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times, that is, summing up all of all things in Christ, things in heaven things on the earth in him. Also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, having listened to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. What we have just read is the long, in the Greek is the longest sentence in the Bible. It's one big sentence from verse 3 to verse 4. And it's blessed. You know, in our faith, we use words Sometimes we don't grasp the whole meaning or we don't grasp the magnitude of the meaning. I mean, somebody sneezes, what do we say? God bless you, right? Anybody know where that came from? Huh? Some say your heart stops. That's a myth. Your heart doesn't stop. I want to put you at ease. Your heart doesn't stop. Your blood slows down, but it quickly catches up. It really came from Pope Gregory, and it was in the bluebonic plague. When somebody would cough or somebody would sneeze, He said, God bless you. I hope you don't get the plague. Pretty apropos for the COVID era that we live in, right? So that blessed, the the two Greek words in the New Testament used for blessed, most are 
often are Macadiso and Eulogel. All right? They, they exist in a noun, adjective, and a verb form. Now, Macariso we're used to in the Sermon on the Mount. That's what's used in the Sermon on the Mount, where the Lord says, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor and seer, blessed are the people. Those are all forms of Macariso, and they mean fortunate or happy. But in verse 3, where he's, Paul writes, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Those are all forms of eulogal. We get our word, what? Eulogy from it, right? Pastor once told me, you want to know what your eulogy is going to be like? They're going to lament over you for 30 minutes, and then somebody will jump up and say, hey, let's go to Chili's. (laughs) And most of them will forget about you. But here we have all three forms of eulogal. In verse 3, you have blessed. There's the adjective, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When that form of eulogal is used in the New Testament, it's only speaking of God the Father. It's only used for God the Father. And it means well spoken of or speak well of him. And then the second part of verse 3, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, that's the verb and the noun form of eulogal. This is in the past tense. This is, a, this is a done deal. And you notice there's spiritual blessings. God doesn't necessarily have to bless us materially, but spiritually blessed we are. It's a done deal. It's, it's very similar to 2 Peter 1.3 where Peter writes, he's given you all you need for life and godliness. Right? He's given you every spiritual blessing that you need in this life, on this world, and godliness in the life thereafter, hereafter. He's given us all we need, spiritual blessings. You know, John MacArthur in his commentary says, many times we pray for things we already have. We pray to experience more of God's love. When in Romans 5, 5, it says that God has poured out his love in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he's given us. We pray to experience more of God's Peace, when Jesus said in John chapter 14, 26, or 27, he said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives, so do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. We pray to experience more of God's joy when again Jesus in John 15, 11 said, These things I have spoken to you so that your, my joy may be in you and your joy may be full or complete. You know, I don't think we comprehend how blessed we are. How many spiritual blessings we have. You could take Psalms. You could list a spiritual blessing for every Psalm. You could take the letters of Paul. You could come up with a spiritual blessing for every chapter of Paul's epistles. We are blessed. We should blessed by the Father. We should be overwhelmed. But notice where these blessings are, in the heavenly places in Christ. Why in the heavenly places? Because that's where we are. Philippians says that our citizenship is in heaven from which we eagerly wait as Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where we belong. That uh, we belong in heaven. We're on earth, yes, but we're not of the world. 
Peter takes the opposite view. In 1 Peter 2.11, he calls us strangers and aliens. He says, blessed, I urge you as strangers and aliens, abstain from your fleshly desires which war against your soul. God didn't just save us from hell and put us in heaven. That's a great part of salvation. But he also saved us to put a little bit of heaven here on earth. We are a little bit of heaven. Matter of fact, Paul calls us ambassadors. And what an ambassador? An ambassador lives in an embassy. And what's an embassy? An embassy is a little part of a country in a foreign country, right? The U.S. embassy in Turkey is a little bit of a U.S. in Turkey. That's why as a U.S. citizen, you get in trouble in Turkey, you get to get it to the U.S. embassy because our laws apply there. But you are a little bit of heaven on earth that God has given us. We're ambassadors. We're embassies. We're blessed by the Father. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, but he's not done. The Father has blessed us in verse 4 just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless. That word chose means he drew a line around us. He drew a line around Lanny. He drew a line around Taylor. He drew a line around Ed. Well, he drew a half circle around it and says, do I really want to complete this? Yeah, yeah, okay, I'll I'll complete it. He drew a line around Ed. He chose us before the foundation of the world. Paul writes in Thessalonians, he says, but we should always give thanks for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, for you were chosen from the beginning for salvation through sanctification of the Holy Spirit and faith in the truth. It was in this that you were called through our gospel to gain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We were we were chosen before the foundation of the world. Romans 8.30, Philip de Corsi calls this the golden chain. He predestined us, he called us, he justified us, and he will glorify us. It's a golden chain. It can, can't be broken. It's a sure thing. You know, I don't think we understand when we say he, he chose us before the foundation of the world. That means we were known before he created. We were known by him. We were loved by him before we were created. Before there was Yosemite, before there were islands in the Caribbean, before there was a French Riviera, you and I were known by God. It was almost like he created something special for us. He loved us so much. He says, I love these people so much, I want to create something really special for them. We're chose before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. Whoa. How's that gone? If you're like me, that's, that's the struggle. But remember, he's talking spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. This is not our holy and blameless. God made him who had no sin to be sin so that in him we become the righteousness of God. Colossians 1.20, yet he has reconciled us through his fleshly body, through death, in order to present you before him holy and blameless beyond reproach. Beyond reproach means without charge. In God's sight, we are seen through the blood of Jesus Christ. We're holy and blameless. You know, maybe it's my um, relationship with the uh, judicial system. As many of you know, I'm in the jail ministry. And I envision this trial going on. The plaintiff 
The one that's bringing charges against me is Satan. He's the accuser of the brethren, right? The judge is God the Father. My court-appointed attorney is Jesus Christ, right? Jesus brings his assistant to our defense team, the Holy Spirit, okay? And here's how it goes. Satan goes, Bob said this, Bob did this, Bob thought that, right? And my defense attorney, Jesus, he says, your honor, it's paid for. Your honor, it's paid for. Your honor, it's paid for. And his assistant on my defense team, the Holy Spirit, he says, your honor, I'm going to give him the power to do better. I'm going to give him the power to do better. I'm going to give him the power to do better. And then you think that my attorney is the son of the judge. And his assistant knows the thoughts and minds of the judge. Pretty lopsided in my favor, don't you think? How do you think that trial's going to go? Well, I can tell you how it's going to go. It's going to say, innocent, without charge, holy, and blameless. That's what we are. We're chosen. God and Father has, has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He blessed us for the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. And notice, don't miss those two little words at the end of verse, in love. And then in verse 5, we're blessed by the Father. He predestined us to be adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. He predestined us. It literally means he foreordained us, right? Now, yeah, I know what you're all thinking. Bob's done it now. He's got to talk about predestination and free will, huh? He's done it now. Well, Bob only looks stupid, okay? But I can tell you this. Every place in Scripture, you see predestination you will see either in a few verses after or a few verses before free will. Matter of fact, look at verse 13 of chapter 1 of Ephesians. In him, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, there's your free will. Right? Where do two come together? No one knows. You know, a pastor used to tell me that when you walk up, I think he got this from MacArthur, but you walk up to the gates of heaven, you're going to see an archway across it. And it's going to read, whoever shall believe. And then you walk through that archway. And you look back over your shoulder, you're going to see chosen before the foundation of the world. Where do two meet? We don't know. But we are predestined, predestined to be what? Adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. The Jews normally did not adopt. The Romans adopted. And when the Romans adopted, that child had all the rights as a natural born child. Roman citizen, all the rights. We are adopted by God. Romans 8.15 says that you are, we have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. It goes on to say the spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. That word Abba means dad or daddy. 
We have the right. We are so blessed. We have the right to call the creator of the universe, the most high God, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, never-changing. We have the right to call him dad, daddy. We're blessed that he predestined us to be children of God. And it says, according to his kind intention. That kind intention means his good pleasure of his will. In verse 6, to the praise of glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Well, Paul's point is, you don't, you don't follow a bunch of rules and regulations to get this. This is free. It's his grace. And it's all to his praise and his glory. In the beloved, he's talking about Jesus. We're blessed by the Father. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly. We're blessed by the Father. He chose you before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. We're blessed by the Father. He predestined us to be adopted children of God. But we're also blessed by the Son. Look at verse 7. In him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the kind intention which he purposed in him. We're redeemed. Through his blood. Jesus blessed us. He redeemed us. That comes from the slave market, where you would pay a price for a slave. And after the crowd dispersed, you'd take the chains off that slave and you say to him and her, You're free to go. You're redeemed. But it was costly. It was redeemed through Jesus' blood. It wasn't like God had a big dry ink board and we had, he had all our sins listed there. And when we came to salvation, it wasn't like he just took an eraser and erased it all. It was costly. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.18, knowing you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of the lamb, spotless and unblemished, the blood of Christ. Hebrews says without the spilling of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Hebrews 9.22. Jesus, when he instituted the Lord's Supper, took the cup. He said, this is my blood that will be poured out for many for the remission of sin. It was costly. Matter of fact, that was the third cup of the Passover meal. That cup is called the cup of blessings, ironically. We're blessed by the Son that he redeemed us through his blood. And it says, according to the riches of his grace. Paul's point is, you don't work for this. I mean, in a few verses in Ephesians 2.8, he's going to say it is by grace that you're saved, not of yourself. It's a gift from God, not by works, so no one can boast. You know, follow a bunch of rules and regulations for this. His grace, this grace, look at verse 8, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to the kind intention which he purposed in him. This grace was lavished on us. I mean, when I read that word lavish, I think of what Mary did with that alabaster jar of perfume, you know, broke it and poured it over the Lord. And that perfume ran all the way down to his feet and she wiped his feet with her hair lavish just poured this grace is poured upon us we're so blessed and it's all in god's wisdom and insight 
he, in verse 9, he made known to the mystery of his will. That mysteron is the Greek. That is something that was veiled in the Old Testament, but now comes to light in the New Testament. I mean, we see grace in the Old Testament. I mean, just how God dealt with Israel. We see it over and over, but it's veiled. It doesn't reach its climax. It doesn't reach its crescendo to Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Then it comes to light what grace truly is. And then it goes on in verse 9, his kind intention, again, that's his motivation, his, his good pleasure, which he purposed in him. Don't miss those words. Purposed in Jesus. See, we're blessed by the Son that he redeemed us through his blood, but we're blessed by the Son that he was submissive to his Father's purpose. Even though he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant. Being found in the appearance of man, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Even Jesus in John 8, 42 says, I did not come of my own initiative, but he has sent me. We're blessed by the son that he was submissive to his father's purpose. But we're also blessed by the son. Look at verse 10, with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of time. That is the summing up of all things of, in Christ, things in heaven, things on earth in him the fullness of time that's end times that's a second coming that's the setting up of the kingdom the fullness of time and it says that he will it says to administration suitable the fullness that summing up all things in christ that he's going to reconcile everything he's going to make everything right everything that's wrong will be made right at his second coming colossians 120 he says through him, he has reconciled all things through himself, having made peace through the blood of, his cro- of the cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, he will make everything right. He will reconcile. Creation, as great as it is, is still fallen. Romans says, in Romans 8.20, it says, all creation is subject to fertility. That word fertility means it hasn't reached its potential. It hasn't reached its goal. It goes on to say in 8.23 that whole creation groans and suffers the pains as childbirth together until now. Creation is looking forward to the coming of the Lord when he will reconcile all things to himself. As great as creation is, we're still... Under a fallen, we live in a fallen creation. I mean, we think a banana can taste great, but maybe in an eternity, it'll even be better. Maybe it won't ripe as fast. I don't know. Okay. I mean, we, we think we know what vegetables taste like, but maybe they'll be great in the kingdom of heaven, right? Maybe I'll even like Brussels sprouts, right? Maybe Brussels sprouts will taste like ice cream or something. I, I don't know. But he's going to, we're blessed by the Son. He's going to reconcile all things to himself. We're blessed by the Son. He redeemed us through his blood. We're blessed by the Son. He was submissive to his Father's purpose. We're blessed by the Son that he'll reconcile all things. But he's still not done. Look, it says in verse uh, 11, Also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, 
who works all things after the counsel of his will to the end that we who were first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his, of his glory. Inheritance. What's an inheritance? An inheritance is something you get because of who you are, not what you did. That's Paul's point. Hey, Church of Ephesians, Ephesus, you don't have to work for this. This is who you are. You get it. You gain an inheritance. What's our inheritance? Well, I purposely didn't complete Romans 8, 17. It says the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children. And if children, heirs. And if heirs, co-heirs with Christ. Okay, well, what's Christ's inheritance? Well, here you have to go to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, where it says, In these last days he has spoken through his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. All things. Everything we worked so hard, we wanted so badly, we thought we really needed, right? Guess what? We're going to get him. We're co-heirs with Christ. He gained us an inheritance. We're blessed by the Son. He redeemed us through his blood. We're blessed by the Son. He was submissive to his Father's purpose. We're blessed by the Son. He will reconcile all things through himself. We're blessed by the Son. He gained us an inheritance. And look at this inheritance in verse 11. It says, also we have obtained and have predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we were first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. That word works there. We get our word energy. You really could translate that power. And the counsel of his will is his preeminence. This inheritance is predestined. It's his purpose. It's his power. It's his preeminence. And all the way down to verse 12, it's his praise. You're blessed by the Father that he chose you before the foundation of the world. He's blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. He predestined you to be children of God. You're blessed by the Son. And look, at, we're also blessed by the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 13. In him. You also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. It says, in him, in Jesus, listening to the message of the truth, thy word is true. The gospel of your salvation, the good news. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, right? The Holy Spirit convicted us that we were sinners, convicted us that we lack righteousness on convicted us that we would be judged for that lack of righteousness. And we believe, there's your free will, right there. We believe. And the first installment of our faith is what? The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Do you not know that you yourselves are the temple of God and the Spirit of God lives within you? We're blessed by that Holy Spirit because what did he do? Look at verse 13, the second part. You were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. You were sealed. You know where that comes from? It comes from biblical times. A king, when he wanted to send a message out to the villages in his kingdom, he would call his scribes together, and they'd take these scrolls, and they would write the message over and over and over, and they'd roll these scrolls up. And they take hot wax and they take the king's signet ring and he would seal them. 
every one of those scrolls. They'd put them on the back of a carrier, and that carrier would go out to the villages of the kingdom. He'd call those villagers around, and he'd pull the scroll out, and he'd show them that scroll, and he'd say, whose seal is this? And they'd go, oh, it's the king. It's an authentic message from the king. Well, guess what? That's what God did with you by indwelling you with the Holy Spirit. You're sealed, showing you are an authentic child of God, that you are his. No one can break that seal. You're blessed by the Holy Spirit. He sealed us, the Holy Spirit of promise, who's given as a pledge of our inheritance. That word for pledge is the Greek word arabon. That word actually became, arabon became a word for an engagement ring that you were pledging to marry somebody. It's our down payment, a pledge of our inheritance. It's also, arabon is also used in 2 Corinthians 5.5. 5. It says, now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God who has given us the spirit as I pledge, Arabone. You know, in this world, we're always looking for a sure thing, right? We want a sure thing in our investment portfolio. We look at our health coverage. We want to, we want to know what's surely going to be covered by our health that we won't have to pay for when we go to the doctor. If we buy a new appliance or a new piece of furniture, we want to know what the guarantee is, what the warranty is, right? If this thing doesn't perform or we don't like it, What's a sure thing that they'll take it back and we'll get our money back or get a replacement? We're blessed by the Spirit. He's your sure thing. He's your arrow bone of your inheritance. I mean, it would have been good enough if God would have said all this, that he would do it. It would have been good enough that the Son would have did it all, okay? But that's not how God works. He gives us a Spirit as a pledge, as a down payment of our inheritance. It's a sure thing. It's a sure thing. We're blessed by the Spirit. He sealed us. We're blessed by the Spirit. He's a pledge of our inheritance. He's also a guarantee. Look at the last part of verse 14. With a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. He's a guarantee of our redemption. The redemption of our bodies. Philippians 3.21 Who will transform our body of humble state into conformity of the body of his glory by the exertion of the power he has to subject all things to himself. All things. There's nothing outside the power of Jesus. There's nothing outside the power of God. He exertion all things to himself. He's going to transform these bodies of humble state into conformity of his body of his glory. That means... No more of these. No more of these electronics and wires hanging from our ears. No more of these carriages we carry around. No more riding on them. We are going to be transformed into conformity with his glory. Perfect bodies. Glorious bodies. The Holy Spirit has blessed us. But he, he's a guarantee of that. Guarantee of that. And I noticed the last part of verse 14 it says, I got to put these back on now. Um, I haven't got my glorified body. Um, to the praise of his glory. It's all to his glory. Paul's point is, you don't need a bunch of rules and regulations. You don't need legalism. You know, 
My wife often says that when she gets in glory, she wants to be tall. Okay. I want hair. Okay. So if you run in, uh, run across a couple in heaven, a small guy with hair and a tall with a tall woman, just say, "Hey, it's Bob and Lisa." Yeah. It's all to the praise of His glory. We're blessed by the Father. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. He chose you before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. He predestined you to be adopted children. You're blessed by the Son. He redeemed you through his blood. You're blessed by the Son. He was submissive to his Father's purchase. You're blessed by the Son. He'll reconcile all things to himself. You're blessed by the Son. He gained you an inheritance. You're blessed by the Spirit. He sealed you, making you authentic children of God. You're blessed by the Spirit that he is your pledge of your inheritance. And you're blessed by the Spirit. He's your guarantee that you're going to get a redeemed body. We're blessed. You know, Pastor Chuck said this. I don't know how many of you remember this. Pastor Chuck said this. When God decides to bless his children, he doesn't hold back. Colossians 2.10 says, In him you have been made complete. That's Paul's point. You're blessed by the Father. You're blessed by the Son. Blessed by, you don't need a bunch of rules and regulation. You're complete in Christ. I don't know how many times in these 12 verses you added up in him, through Jesus Christ, in his beloved. But I have. It's 11 times in 12 verses. It's only through Jesus. You are blessed. But now the challenge is, we got to live like it. We got to live like it. We got to live experiencing God's love. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Loving others as ourselves. We got to live having joy even through tough circumstances. We got to have peace when we're struggling, when we're suffering. Right? Pastor Chuck is leading us through the uh, fruit of the Spirit. Our motivation for allowing the Holy Spirit to be filled with us, filled in us, is that we're blessed by the Father. We're blessed by the Son. We're blessed by the Holy Spirit. We're complete in Christ. We need the Holy Spirit to flow through us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Do me a favor. Next time somebody sneezes and you say, God bless you, Say, can I take you to Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14, and show you how truly blessed you are? Or maybe even, if they're not a believer, say how blessed you could be in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your word is awesome. You're an awesome God. You love us with an everlasting love. You've blessed us. Father, we have to admit sometimes we take your blessings just for granted. Allow us, Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit to live like we're blessed. To love and to have joy and to have peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Father, just be with us. Strengthen us. Be with us this week. Allow us to be an image of your Son. 
And to that we give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. get all my stuff out of here. Thank you, Bob. You've added to the blessings we already had. Thank you. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.